Amen. Amen. Hey, you may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good job for coming this morning before the snow hits. We're going to try to get you out so that you don't have to brave it. And then, so if you're watching online, we get it. We get it. We understand. So good to have you online. Um, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of Alpiners today that are going to be online. I'm so glad to be here. Two weeks in a row, we don't get to do that very much. It feels like old school church, you know, because typically here at Alpine, we have multiple campuses. And one of the things, one of our values as a church is that we win as a team. And that's one of the reasons that we try not, that we never actually have the same person preach every week at a church. Now, even though you'll still see, you'll hear a lot of this, you, you know, might have, you might have your campus pastor at your campus one or two times a month, we still really believe it's important for us to see a whole team of teachers to bring a different perspectives on God's truth, but really more than anything, because we don't want to make our church, we don't want to make a pursuit of God about a person. We all tend to have our favorites, right? We love our favorites, and, and so I think that it's just human nature to want to follow a person or a personality. We see it in sports, we see it in music, and unfortunately, we see it in church. We see it in church all over the place. So that's one of the reasons that we really like to mix it up and have multiple teachers. I grew up at a really great church. I loved my church growing up back in Chicagoland. But one of the things I wish that they had done is had someone besides the senior pastor preaching all the time. He did a great job. But I think it really would have sent a good message to so many of us growing up. And that's one of the things we try to do here at Alpine. So all that to say, here I am again at the Layton campus, uh, even though this isn't, this isn't normal. So we're so, good to ha- so glad to have you guys here. Last week, we started, a, we started in on, our, on Mark chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, you can turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark is the, is, is the shortest of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark is the second, the second one. It's the shortest of them. And we've been studying it since the beginning of the year. We took seven weeks to get through chapter 1. We're going to take four weeks to get through chapter two, and then when we're done with that, we're going to study chapter three um, before Easter hits us. So we've got it planned out. We're excited about it. And so this little mini-series in Mark chapter two is really we're seeing how Jesus is challenging religion. So I hope you were here last week, and and I hope you found a small group last week. If you didn't find one, it's not too late to join a small group and get involved in a small group. Um, we're, We're really excited about having people talk about these things, because listening to a message for 30 minutes is not nearly as fruitful as talking about it with someone in your world and really unpacking it together in a small group. That's what small groups are for. So last week, we talked about how Jesus is greater than religion, and, and Jesus is going toe-to-toe with, in chapter 2, he's going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and, and you're getting to see how, how the organized religion, and again, we want to make sure that you understand, we're not trying to throw religion under the bus. Religion is God's idea. Religion is not bad, but religion can get corrupted. Religion can become toxic, and this is what had happened by the time Jesus comes into the scene in the Gospels. Jesus is there, and he, could you imagine from Jesus' perspective, he's God, and yet the religious leaders who were supposed to be leading, leading his followers, the Jewish people at that time, The religious leaders had corrupted it and made it about something that it wasn't supposed to be about. I can't even imagine how that must have felt for Jesus to come onto the scene and to see that. And so we see through all the Gospels that Jesus, the only 
the only people Jesus ever picked a fight with were the religious leaders. Like he was so gracious and kind to everybody else, but he, he was always picking a fight with the, well, actually they were picking fights with him. If you pay attention to it, more, that's probably the more accurate thing. But Jesus didn't shy away from those fights. And so Jesus is going toe-to-toe with these religious leaders. So we saw it last week, how he did it last week. If you, were here, if you weren't here, you can find all that online. But today, we're going to talk about the next little vignette in Mark chapter 2. And, and this is where we're encountering two kinds of people. Okay, so as we study this, I, I want you to just, I want to start with a question for you just to get us warmed up. Like, how do you know if somebody's good or bad? This is, a, this is your first question for small groups this week. I hope you go to small groups to talk about it because I'm going to talk about it for just a minute up here and you're going to want to talk about it at home, trust me. Because as Tracy, I was asking my wife Tracy this morning, hey, how would you answer that question? Like, I need to really think this through. How would you answer that question? How do you know if someone's good or bad? And she said, oh, well, I mean, immediately she had an answer. She's like, if, I, if somebody's tailgating me on the freeway, right? Somebody's tailgating me on the freeway. Hold on, just wait for it. And I'm just like, what is going on? And finally, they get around me, but there's not enough room in between me and the car in front of me, but they're going to try to shoot the gap anyway and pull in front of me. Everybody following me right here? Do you speed up at that point, or do you let them in? Now, I mean, there's a lot of good and bad in this little scenario right here. Like, first of all, the tailgater is a bad person. Can I get an amen on that one? The tailgater is the bad person. But then you become the bad person depending on how you react to the tailgater. Now, I know this because my wife is a tailgater. I'm just going to say it right now. She is a tailgater. And I tell her this. We've got a car finally now that tells you if you're tailgating. And I'm like, Tracy, let's just let the car decide this argument right now. Anytime the little tailgater light comes up on the car, on the dashboard, let's, it's kind of like the Bible is our guide, right? The Bible guides us, but we're in their car. We're going to let technology guide us, and this isn't, we're not going to argue about this. You're clearly tailgating. Would you back off a little bit, okay? Here's what I do when somebody tailgates me. I slow down, and if they don't get the message, I slow down a little bit more, and then sometimes, if I'm able to, I actually whip into the, into the, onto the side of the road and let them pass me, and then I tailgate them. I'm just going to be <laughs> honest with you. Or how about, how about the shoulder rider? The shoulder rider. You're in a traffic jam. Everyone's in the same situation. Everyone's got somewhere to go, right? But there's always that guy that takes the shoulder whips out into the shoulder and goes like a hundred cars up. Can we all agree that that is a bad person? (laughs) Thank you. I don't think we need to disagree about some of these things. Here's a new one in our culture. I don't know if this happened just since COVID or what it was, but but now I go to Starbucks to get a cup of coffee. I I order a cup of coffee, and the person standing there taking my order, and they flip the screen around for me to pay, you see where I'm going with this? And I'm paying, and it's telling me to tip the person who just gave me the coffee. Am I a bad person that I don't tip a person who didn't serve me at the table? I'm, you guys are looking at me now. I think maybe I shouldn't use this one in the second service. 
I don't know what happened in our culture where all of a sudden you just tip anybody for anything, you know? Like, by the way, tips, you can leave tips on the way out today. <laughs> like, I, maybe this is just dating me a little bit. Some of you young people are laughing at me. I know I could see my kids laughing at me right now, you know? Because I look at that, I'm like, tips, tips are for servers who, who, you know, do a good job serving me. And, you know, I'm sitting at Chili's and they serve me and then I... I, you know, they, they get me a refill of the drink, and they get me my food, and I'm like, good job. Like, my wife in college was a server, so we get this. We understand. She loved the tip, and she worked hard to earn the tip. So you, you do that at Chili's for me, and I, I will tip you 10% easily. I will tip. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Isn't, it, isn't that true? When you, go, when you go out to, like, Chili's with your parents or something, you have to always check the bill. You're like... Let's throw an extra 10 bucks on there, you know? So there's all kinds of ways to measure good and bad people, but really I think it, came, it became the most obvious during COVID when everyone was freaked out about toilet paper. If you're a bad person, you hoarded the toilet paper. Can we just all get an amen to that? That if you're a bad person, you hoarded. When you go in there, it says limit two, and you're like taking four, five, six, and making all the rest of us go down the tortilla aisle. <laughs> Some of you will get that later today on the ride home. So today we're going to talk about good two kinds of people. I hope you go to small groups this week and, and finish this conversation because with shopping or with... I, we didn't even get into the marriage stuff. We, we could talk about this all day long, but we need to move on and see what Jesus has to say about it. So two kinds of people, and really it's bad people and good people. And I want you to think about this image as we look at the text today. There's bad people and there's good people. Where would you put yourself? Where would you put your neighbor? Where would you put your friends? Where would you put that tailgater? Bad people and good people. Let's go to the text. Mark chapter 2. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus went out to the lake shore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. And so Levi got up and followed him. Now, most of Jesus' followers were fishermen, but there's this guy that kind of slips into the bunch. Now, fishermen were just average guys. They were, they were kind of your blue-collar workers, and this is who the fishermen were. And, and Jesus loved drawing ordinary people to himself. We've talk, we talk about this here at Upon all the time. He loves ordinary people. He loves calling, inviting ordinary people to come and follow him. And then he invites this guy named Levi. Now, let's break this guy down a little bit. So, Levi, most commentators think that Levi, which by the way is another name for Matthew, Matthew, so if you look at a list of disciples, which we'll look at later in this series, his name is actually Matthew, Levi, Matthew, kind of like Simon had the name Peter as well. But Levi, son of Alphaeus, most likely was of the tribe of Levi, which means, if you're reading along with us right now in the Bible reading plan online, we're in, the, we're in the book of Leviticus, and uh, we've been reading in the book of Leviticus, and it's so fascinating to read the book of Leviticus. Le, the Leviticus is the book of the law. The Levites were one of the tribes of Israel. There were 12 sons of Israel, and his son Levi was the one that was 
designated to be the father of all the priests. So the priests of Israel were called the Levites. They actually came from the, the line of Levi. So by the way, you would say, well, when they, when they apportioned the land back in the Old Testament and they split the land up into the 12 tribes, you'll notice that Levi wasn't one of the 12 tribes anymore. So if you, look, if you read a listing of the 12 tribes, Levi's name isn't there because Levi, the Levites were supposed to serve all of the tribes. So God said, I'm going to take you and your descendants will be the priests and I'm going to, you're not going to have your own portion. You're not going to have your own land because you're going to serve every, all of the other tribes. And so the Levites were spread out among the other 12 tribes. And so the other, this is, by the way, just for your information, the other name that you won't see in the 12 tribes is Joseph. Even though Joseph was one of the sons of Israel, as Levi was, Joseph doesn't have a tribe because his two sons have the two half-tribes. So that's how the, that's how the math works out is Ephraim and Manasseh are the two sons of Joseph, which was a great honor to Joseph, that Joseph doesn't have a tribe named after him. He has two tribes, one one named after each of his sons. And so that's how we come up with the 12 tribes. But the Levites, they didn't get land. If you look at a map in the Old Testament, a map of when the Israelites moved into the promised land and God apportioned all the land out, you're not going to see Levi on the map. You're going to see all the other names, all the other 12 names, but you're not going to see Levi because his sons were the priests. And so many scholars think that Levi was a Levite. So think about this. He comes from the descendants of the priests. His his ancestors were the priests of the people. They were the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. And now... Now, Levi is a tax collector. Now, probably most of us don't fully understand, can't really appreciate this. It's, it's so important to get context when you're reading a story like this, so you re, it re, really can kind of land for you what Jesus is trying to do here. Jesus is calling a guy who's descended from the priests of the nation, who is now a tax collector, And a tax collector was the most hated person of all the Jewish people. The Jews hated the tax collectors because the tax collectors worked for the Romans and they extorted money from the Jews on behalf of the Romans. That's how tax collecting worked back then. I know today we love our tax collectors. (laughs) But back then they hated their tax collectors because the way that Levi made money, the way that Matthew made money, is he would go to his Jewish friends... He worked for the Romans who were oppressing them and he would go to his Jewish, his Jewish friends and family members and the Jewish people living in his region and he would demand taxes from them that he would deliver to Rome and then he would take a cut from that. That's how Levi made his money. So Levi was absolutely hated among the people of Israel. All the tax collectors were absolutely hated. They were the scum of the earth. And Jesus is calling him to follow me. Put yourself in the shoes of the priests. Levi is supposed to be a spiritual leader. 
Or at the very least, Levi is not supposed to join the enemy and extort the people of Israel, take advantage of the people of Israel. Jesus sees this guy. Jesus knows this guy's story. He knows his name. He knows his occupation. And still Jesus says, come, follow me. And I love it. Levi got up and followed him. So there's the context for this story with the tax collector. And it says that later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. And this is where it gets even worse. Along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. And I love the parenthetical note that Mark gives us. Remember, Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. Mark doesn't mince his words. Mark only tells us what we need to know. If it's in the Gospel of Mark, it's in there for a reason. It's in there for a purpose. And in parentheses, he puts this. I love this. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So not only does Jesus invite a tax collector to be in his inner circle, but now that tax collector invites Jesus and his inner circle into a rager. Okay, maybe not a rager. We don't know if there were kegs there or not, but he invites him into a party with disreputable sinners. He invites him to a party, not just, not just where he's there, but where the other, his other tax collector buddies are there. These are Jewish people, again, in the same boat that Levi's in. And Jesus went to the party. And it doesn't just say that he went to the party, but it says that this, is, this was the norm for Jesus. This wasn't the exception. This, it, Jesus wasn't just having a bad day today. Like sometimes you just have a bad day. You're like, man, I made some bad choices today. Like I, this did not go well today. Maybe I'm going to restart tomorrow. This wasn't a bad day for Jesus. This was a normal day for Jesus Jesus hung out with people like this all the time. So now that you have some context, let's take a look at what the Pharisees say about this and how Jesus responds. I love this. Verse 16. When the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? There's just so much to unpack here. You're going to have to go to a small group to unpack this, but just a couple things jump out to me. First of all, it's interesting that, that Jesus is, or that the Pharisees are triangulating here. We just did a topic. Tracy led our pastoral team this week in a topic from the Pursue God Library on triangulation, relationships and triangulation. Triangulation is when you, when you have a problem with person A, but instead of talking to person A about it, you talk to person B about it to try to get them on your side. That's unhealthy relationally. This is just another little bonus thing for you. This was not planned. I'm just telling you. That's called triangulation. So here the Pharisees are triangulating. They're going to his disciples, probably trying to sow some seeds of discord with his disciples instead of just going straight to Jesus. So that's the first problem I see. The second problem I see is, isn't this just normal for religious people? They're just finger-pointing. Why? Why does he eat with such scum? I mean, that, I don't really know what the word is there. I didn't look this up, but I love that the New Living Translation gives us a pretty powerful word. Like, I don't think 
I don't think you should probably call people scum. I don't know that you want to try that. I think that might not go very well for you if you call somebody scum. And this is what the Pharisees are doing. They're pointing fingers. They're calling people names. And Jesus responds. I love his response. Verse 17. When Jesus heard this, here's what he said. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now just think about this response for a second. This is, this is really where we're focusing, verse 17. This is a great one for you to process if you have just a little bit of like religiosity in you. If there's just a part of you that sometimes, maybe you don't say it out loud, but in your heart you think, why is that scum here? Why, why, does, why does that scum think he or she can go to church or follow God? Like, I don't know that we have a ton of people like that at Alpine Church. I think we do a pretty good job of, of rooting those people out. <laughs> I don't think people like that last very long at Alpine Church, but that's a pretty normal thing at a lot of churches is that you just start getting really judgmental about people who aren't like you. You, you know, you think about somebody who's, who's different than you are, you think about somebody who doesn't sort of fit the regular mold that we think about when we think about church and religion. And it's really easy, I think it's easy even generationally, it's easy just to get to that point where we're, we're, we're like the Pharisees. And so these words are for, really for all of us, whether today or 10 years from now. Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let's go back to our picture. I think we can kind of fill this picture in a little bit now. Bad people and good people, it turns out it's not really about driving and tailgating and all that kind of stuff. Jesus is saying this. On the right, there are those who think they are good people. It's interesting that he says it like that, by the way. He didn't say, there are those who are good people. He said there are those who think they are good people. And then on the left, we have those who know they are righteous. Later on in the Gospels, or later on in the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul helps us to unpack this a little bit. He helps us to understand this a little bit. The Apostle Paul was a guy who was a Pharisee. He, he was one of the religious leaders. Now, we don't know if he was there that day. I, I think he was probably a little bit too young to be there that day, but, but we know that some of his teachers were probably there that day. Some of his seminary instructors were probably there that day. And Paul was this guy who was so self-righteous, and you can read about it in Philippians. He talks about like his resume. Self-righteous people are people who have a resume. He's like, I was a you know, a fair, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Kids, ask your parents about that one. I was, you know, I mean, he just lists all this. He was, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, I was, I was zealous. I was righteous. And then he met Jesus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. You can read about that in Acts and he encounters, he encounters 
Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, so Jesus kind of speaks to him, and Paul, his name was Saul at the time, Paul the Pharisee was on his way to persecute Christians. Like, he was so zealous, and this is what religion tends to do, is he was actually picking on the real followers of Jesus. He was picking on the real followers of Jesus, and he was on his way to do more of that as a Pharisee, and then he encounters Jesus, and Jesus was like, why are you picking on me? Why are you tailgating me? And Jesus said, you, basically, Jesus like struck him blind, and three days later, he realizes, Saul realizes that he was wrong, and Saul repents, and, and, and he, his, his new name now is Paul, as a Christian, and it completely changes his life, and Paul, this former Pharisee, now is someone, instead of persecuting the Christians and having this sort of religious superiority complex, Paul becomes a guy who is, he says, I am the chief of all sinners. He, and nothing really changed. His pedigree was the same. But he came to this epiphany, he came to this like revelation about himself. He, he, he used to be in this camp, those who think they are good people. And now, now he's in the, on the other side, he's, he becomes someone who knows he's a bad person. Now, I know some of you are like, why are you using this language, good people and bad people? Really, the way, the way that Paul said it later in his letter to the Romans, he said it like this, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, the visual that Paul has in mind when he, when he writes the, the, this famous verse in Romans, this visual is, is, the word for sin is hamartia. The Greek word for sin is hamartia, which means it literally means to miss the mark. It's like a, it's an archery term. That, that it's like you're, you're in a competition and you're, you're shooting at this target and you keep missing the mark. Like you're not even hitting the target, let alone the center of the target. And, and that's, that's the image he's using. It's just, I keep shooting and I keep missing the mark. I keep, like there's a standard that God has for me this glorious standard that God has for me, and I keep shooting for it like Paul was doing, and for the first half of his life, he thought he was hitting it. Because he said, I was a tribe of Benjamin, I did all these things, look at this checklist, I've check, 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 read Leviticus, it's just like all this stuff from the Old Testament law, I'm doing this, and I'm doing a great job, and so, so God must love me, and, and I must be in relationship with him, because relationship with him is about me. It's about what I can do. And so Paul was this guy who thought he was righteous, and then he met Jesus, and then he knew he was a sinner, and he recognized that he was a sinner. And so what, here, this is like the eyes opened Paul, writing this in Romans 3.23, and I, I love this. The word, it, you know, this first part says, for everyone has sinned. The word for that in Greek, if you really study that, if you dig, dig, dig deep on the word, the Greek word for everyone... It actually, here's what it means, everyone. <laughs> like 100% of people, every single person has sinned. Every single person falls short, no exceptions. There's not an, aside from Jesus, Jesus is the only one who didn't sin, who walked this earth and lived a perfect sinless life Every other person who has ever walked or ever will walk the earth, every single person has sinned. That's what Paul came to this realization of. And so really, if we come back to our picture, 
really, this is the picture. You know, before we were looking at this and we're pointing fingers at people and the way they shop or the way they drive, but honestly, like, in the broadest spiritual sense of it, this is what the Bible teaches us, is there's really only one kind of person. We all fall in that section. Every single one of us is a sinner. Now, that doesn't mean that every one of us is as bad as we possibly can be. I'm sure there are people who are worse than you. I know that there are people who are worse than me, and I know that I'm worse than some people. (laughs) But every single one of us is broken. Every single one of us is tainted by sin. Every single one of us has a fundamental problem, and it's that we're bad. But this is where the good news comes in. Because remember what Jesus said is, is, I haven't come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. I have come to call those who know they are sinners, not those who think they are righteous. So see, there's the, there's the nugget, this beautiful nugget of truth is our job, really our job is just to know that we're sinners. Our job is to evaluate ourselves appropriately and put ourselves in the right box here. Let's go back to Romans 3.24. Paul says it like this. The very next verse, after he says we've all sinned, a lot of times in the, in the Bible there's bad news, but almost always it's followed up with the good news, and here it is. Paul says this, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. This, this is the good news. This is what Jesus was getting at in Mark chapter two. Now remember, in Mark chapter two, the people who were there that day, they didn't understand what Jesus had come for yet. It, it was another, another probably 10, 11, 12 chapters before Jesus would go to the cross. So they didn't fully grasp what was going on. They couldn't, they couldn't fully grasp in Mark two what was going on right there. But Jesus is like setting the stage for this huge revelation about the kingdom of God. He's getting, he's getting us ready for, for this kind of stuff that a former Pharisee writes. And this former Pharisee is now, he's, he's all of a sudden he can see the truth about it. And he could understand how toxic his religion was. And so he says that God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. See, there's no Paul there. It doesn't say God in his grace along with me, Paul, see resume. It's not what he says. He just says God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. This is why Jesus invited tax collectors. This is why he invited fishermen, just regular people who weren't high and mighty, who didn't think they were right. They knew who they were. They had this accurate self-assessment. And so they were the ones who could receive this good news, the gospel message that we see unfold as we read through the gospel of Mark, that Jesus, or he, God did it all through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, that when Jesus went to the cross, he died on the cross for our sins, the perfect sacrifice, the true, only good person in the world, truly the only good person, he died for all the bad people, so that if we would place our faith in him, then we would be saved. That's the, good, that's the good news. That's the gospel message. So let's just finish by going back to our, our image here. So on the left, there are those who know that they're bad people. On the right, there are those who think they're 
good people. And so really what the Bible teaches us is that those who know they are bad people can have new life. And those who think they are good people die in their sins. There are so many good people, quote unquote, so many good people who never turn to Jesus for salvation and they die in their sins. Because friends, you cannot encounter the real God of the Bible. You cannot be made right with the real God of the Bible by counting on your list, by counting on your good works, by thinking that somehow your, your good just needs to outweigh your bad. It just, it's not gonna happen. The only way, this is what Jesus says, the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And so I just have a real simple message for you today. If you're here today, I just wanna, I wanna invite you to think about this question. Have you turned to Jesus for salvation? Do you, do you recognize, do you know that you're bad? Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you acknowledge today that you're a sinner? I want every husband to answer this for yourself. I want every wife to answer this for yourself. I want every child, every student, every junior high, every high schooler, seriously, like I want you to answer this for yourself. You, there are no coattails in heaven. You're not gonna get into heaven on the coattails of your parents. You're not gonna get into heaven on the coattails of your pastor. Every single person has the responsibility of responding to the free offer of salvation that Jesus gives us. Every single person has that responsibility. It's a great responsibility. The only question that you'll be asked for entrance to heaven, if there was an exam. The only question you'll be asked is have you trusted Jesus for salvation? That's it, that's the only question. There's no other question that matters for your eternity because every single one of us is a sinner. All of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, every single one of us. But if we turn to him in faith, then the Bible says that in an instant we're saved. And here's one, of the, here's one of my concerns as a pastor, and I, I think of this from time to time, is how many people come to our churches, to our campuses, who think that they're righteous? How many people come who, who think that, and maybe not even righteous is the right word, because you probably wouldn't be that arrogant to say that. So let me just say it another way. How many people come who think they're good people, but they've never turned to Jesus? It's so simple. You recognize, you recognize your sin and you say to Jesus, I want to trust in you for salvation. I want to close our time together by just giving you an opportunity to do that. If you're here today and you, you've never done that or, or you don't know if you've ever done you're not sure if you've ever done that. Again, why take the chance? Why take the chance? Why not turn to Jesus in salvation? Why not just say, you know what, today's gonna be the day when I'm just gonna know for sure that I've, that I've acknowledged my sin. I recognize that Jesus has set me free. And maybe you're watching from home today. I encourage you, even from home, to pray a prayer like this. I'm gonna do something that we don't normally do here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray just a really simple, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer 
from this booklet, The Pursuit. If you, don't, if you haven't grabbed one of these, I encourage you to grab one of these today on your way out. These are free. It's just a, a quick little summary, uh, an easy read, 60 pages on how to become a follower of Jesus. And right in the middle of this book, in chapter 6, we talk about really what this sermon's about. Chapter 4 talks about sin. Chapter 5 talks about Jesus. And chapter 6 talks about saving faith. Saving faith is just talking about our response to the good news after we've heard the bad news. The bad news is that, that we're all bad. The good news is that we can all move over here. We can all be good people by faith because the righteousness of Jesus gets credited to our account. And so we explain that right in this little booklet. Again, I invi invite you to grab one of these, but I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads and we're gonna, I'm just gonna lead you in a prayer right here from chapter six. It's just a, we call it a sinner's prayer. And if you've never prayed it before, I just invite you to do that even now. Let's pray together. Bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you're here today and you would say, I, I want to know that I've trusted Jesus for salvation, then I invite you to pray this prayer. Just in your heart, just say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross and rose from the dead so that I could have life. I'm turning from my sin now and I'm turning to you in faith. I trust in you alone to forgive my sins and give me new life. Thank you for this free gift. Amen.